Sunday to you all and welcome to this Sunday version of the Daily Walk. I'm your host Wayne Clevenger and today we're in the second letter of Peter. And no, there's not a third like I was talking about yesterday. That was a total brain error. I was looking at John, the letters of John. John wrote four, you know, he wrote the gospel of John and then there's first, second, third John. So my apologies to that. But today we are in the second letter of Peter. And he is as much like Second Timothy. Because he's writing to us, encouraging us to be strong in it. He's going to warn us about false teachers and about the second coming, about Jesus coming again. So there's some good stuff in this. Uh, there's some things in here we hear often, and there's some things in here that we start off with that I actually used yesterday in talking with my team because we need to live this every day no matter what we do. So, you know, in the first chapter, he just gives the usual greeting but he talks about how we got to grow in our faith. And so when we're growing in our faith, we got to make every effort to respond to God's promises. And he says this, this is verse five and six. And there's an older version of the NLT that worded this, I thought even better, but this is pretty good stuff. We have to, Grow in our faith, right? Supplement our faith, so to speak. Add to it. Make it bigger. Make it stronger. So that in times of persecution, we can uh, endure, persevere. But so that we just get deeper in our faith, right? Because if we look at our time with Jesus and in all the stories of Jesus, Jesus would always say, by your faith... You're healed. By your faith, it will happen. By your faith. I mean, everything he Jesus did, he always referred to your faith. So Peter, being an eyewitness of that, says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance in patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, basically, if we look at this, it's his version of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 21 and 22. So, if we look at this, this is good stuff because this is really just telling us to live a good life 
representing Jesus. And when we do that and we grow in our faith, we can live with moral excellence. We'll make good decisions. We won't get caught up in things we shouldn't get caught up in. We, which reveals we have good self-control, which reveals we have good patience because it takes good patience for that, which comes from having godliness, means we're close to God because he's the one that gives us all that, right? Which will result and show that we have been exercising the greatest commandment, love your brother as God has loved you, dedicate, love, brotherly affection, and the love for everyone. So he almost puts this in like a reverse order to show that when we do the greatest of the commandments, these trickle-down effects work, and they show people that we have this meaningful relationship with Christ. So he says, work hard to prove you really are among those called by God and chosen. He's not talking about pastors or evangelists. He's talking about people that God calls to be in relationship. That's all of us. How do you know that? Well, he's going to tell us that in a little bit. And he's always, you know, he says, so work hard to do that. Work hard to represent your Jesus with these characteristics all the time. And pay attention to the scriptures. Always remember these things. Because we always have to be looking at how great our God is and that he needs us to do that. Stand firm in the truth. Because, you know, then he reminds us that he saw this stuff. And I have to, you know, he's revealing the fact that he's not telling us this blindly. He's reminding us here in this chapter that he saw the the majestic splendor with their own eyes of the what Jesus said. And he's like, and what Jesus did. And then he said, you know, we heard God himself say, this is our my, my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. So he's like, well, I'm not just putting this out there. I got to see it. So realize this, what we write in the scripture is not our own understanding. It's not our own words. This is Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. And it's not from our own human initiative. This isn't our own stuff. This stuff comes from the Holy Spirit and what God is telling us to do. Now, this goes back to they've learned from Jesus. Jesus said, nothing I do is of my own. I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. And they learned that straight from Jesus because he just said, hey, this is all. We saw this. We got to be in witness of this. And part of being a witness of this is learning that we don't do anything, write anything, say anything, unless the Father tells us to do it. And now they have the Holy Spirit 
living in them, so they're only moved when the Holy Spirit tells them. And so with that in mind, you know, a lot of pastors, myself included, when I have to do sermon prep, I spend a great deal of time in my prayer room, which is my office actually, uh, in the word and in the presence of the Lord, waiting for the Lord to move me in a position where he He tells me what he wants me to speak. That's why I find sermon series hard because I don't get them out of some uh, sermon program or some sermon makeup thing. I I sit and wait upon the Lord to give me what he knows because he knows my people. He knows their situations. He knows what we're doing as a church, and he knows what we need. And so I sit there and, and I wait on the Lord to give me the word. And that's what these guys are doing. Anybody that's written in the Bible, it's, you know, it was Paul wrote that too. All scripture is inspired by the Lord. And so I love that. I love sitting in my time and just waiting to hear what God has. And I may read chapter after chapter after chapter, place after place in the Bible. But then the Lord will hit me on a place and and it'll grab me and I'll be stuck there. And I'll try to go somewhere else and the Lord will take me back there. And I'll try to go somewhere else and the Lord will take me back there. And And I'll say, okay, I get it, but what am I supposed to get? And then I'll read it and study it and read it and study it, and then all of a sudden it'll hit me, and I'll say, oh, okay, I get it. And then I get to just spend time and dive into it, and the Lord speaks in big ways, and it's so cool. And, and that's what I believe that these guys do in the Bible, man. The Lord speaks to them, and he gives them the things to say. So... Peter goes to his second chapter and second letter is about be aware of false teachers because they'll cleverly teach destructive heresies and deny that what God is doing is real. What they'll do is they'll water it down. They'll say you don't have to follow this exactly. They'll make it easier for you to get into the worldly stuff because they'll water down things and make it so and his point is, look, man, truth is truth. It's absolute. Because <laughs> God didn't even spare the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell into gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And so he, he had Noah build the ark for seven other families, and he warned the world of God's judgment, and they didn't follow Noah, and then they got destroyed, and then Sodom and Gomorrah was turned into a heap of ashes and he made them examples of what would happen to ungodly people. So beware of false teachers who come in and try to say our way is the right way and don't listen to the absolute. And the absolute doesn't mean necessarily you know, religious scruples and a bunch of do's and don'ts. The way is the truth of Jesus. Love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus, God loved the world. That's everybody. 
gave his son for the sacrifice for all who came to this world, died on the cross for all of us, rose again, and has been ascended to heaven waiting for us, preparing a place for us who believe in him and make him Lord of our life. Repent of our sins and follow him. So know that the Lord rescues godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. And he's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Second Peter 2.10, that's in there. False teachers are like unthinking animals, cre creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Because false teachers, all they're looking after is themselves. They, they look after what is going to give them glory. And that's, you know, I talked about this the other day. The difference between cocky and confident. False teachers fall into that. They got to speak. They got to keep promoting the self they got to keep promoting the idea of the self they got to keep promoting them what they believe we're confident we have the confident assurance of what we hope for will soon be in our salvation in jesus christ we don't have to boast we boast in the lord and that's what it's a and and that's what he's saying here they love to indulge in evil pleasures and broad daylight they delight in deception even as they eat with you in the fellowship meals and they lure unstable people into sin as they are well trained in greed they live under god's curse they have wandered off the right road and follow the footsteps of balaam's son of bore who loved to earn money by doing wrong but balaam was stopped by his own donkey and so we got to figure somewhere these false prophets will, or, and teachers will be stopped right in their foot tracks by someone or something that's going to see through the writing. And I've witnessed that happen. I've witnessed that happen on a couple occasions. And, it, it, and they don't like it. But the real thing is they brag about themselves. Here's where it goes from what my definition is. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruptions. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Look at what controls them. That's what we always got to do. What is controlling them? Is it life? And what they're driving in, or is it Jesus Christ? And if God is first in their life, truly God, it should be God, family, then church. If that's the proper order, then you are probably safe. But if that's out of line, then that's not perfect love. And that's something that we should be aware of, because that's what perfect love is. And that's how God corrected it. If you look at everything from creation on, then that's what we got to look at. So Peter is giving us fair warning on that. When people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again. They're worse off than before. And the big word for that is apostasy. And that's what he's talking about. And he's like, it would be better off if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject it. Because if you never know it, then you can be saved and sanctified and filled with the Spirit and come to Jesus and be put on fire for the Lord. But if you know it and turn from it, you know, that's when it becomes difficult because, you know, we read in Hebrews where those that knew it and then turned from it, because Hebrews says a lot about apostasy too, can never come back to the Lord. Well, that's because they're usually like done with it. They're usually like, I don't want any of that. They're usually so hard, like hardened, that they don't think anything is worthy of their time. And it reminds me a lot of Pharaoh because, you know, every time Moses would go to Pharaoh and one of the plagues would hit, his heart would become more hardened. And it's, you know, the Bible says that God hardened his heart. And as I explained, it's not exactly that God has hardened his heart, but because he's so hardened against God and what God's doing because God gives him freedom of choice, right? He has free will too. His choice is to be hardened against God more. And when we become them ourselves, condemn ourselves, we are angry at the one who provided the freedom to give us the choice that we made flawed, flawed, and we get mad at the messenger. And that's when Jesus said, I don't condemn you, you condemn yourselves. In the scripture when he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. <laughs> And I, I just think that's huge. So Peter closes out his second letter in chapter 3 with a reminder that the last day scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. And it's true. You know, we see it. We see it a lot. And he, here's what's interesting. They mock and say, you know, Jesus isn't coming back. When's he coming back? The truth is people get so hung up on the rapture that they forget that your second coming is coming sometime. He's coming back for all of us. It may not be in one fell swoop just yet, but he's coming back for all of us sometime, somewhere. And I talk about a day on the helicopter in a, one of my shifts, a 24-hour shift, where everybody died, and it was from an 18-month-old baby to a 15-year-old kid who I had to do a surgical airway on where I cut his throat to put an airway in, and a 60-year-old man. Everybody died on that shift, and it messed me up. My wife kind of let me know that, hey, they're only going to call you when it's bad. But the reality of that shift that hit me was the Lord's coming back. And even though it wasn't technically the rapture, he's coming back for all of us. And it could be at any given moment because that day, you know, 
in that those situations, one was taken and the other one was left. So we got to believe and understand that the Lord's coming back. You know, my sister was at her home and her husband was taken and she was left. He had a severe asthma attack and the Lord took him home. And he was a great person, man. He, I mean, we miss him dearly. You know, my mother-in-law, unexpectedly, day after her birthday, she was taken and her husband was left. So it's coming. We just got to be ready. And people make mockers of it because they get so hung up on, you know, the big flail swoop, but it's happening. And what we got to remember is you must not forget one thing. This is the phrase we hear often. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. <laughs> That's in Second Peter 3 verse 8. Because the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise of coming again, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Second Peter 3, verse 9. Highlight that. Big, bold, printed out. We get so to thinking you know, and mockers get to thinking, you know, he's not coming. Hey, he's slow to come because he wants you to repent. He wants us all to repent. He wants to have a heavenly reunion with his whole creation. So he's just holding out, hoping more people will come to know him. Because the truth is the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment that day. And the Lord is just hoping that it will be a glorious day where more will come to know him. And so Peter closes out with this. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So on this Sabbath, man, make sure we're living patient, peaceful, pure, and blameless life. And if we're not one of those that is, remember God's waiting because he wants you to come into his presence and be saved. Have a great Sabbath. And know Jesus loves you. That's why he came. God speak. Would you pour down like